In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we live in a very uh, hyperactive world. You've heard me say this probably many times. We are full of activity. We are very busy people. And we're a very progressive people. I don't always mean that in the good way, obviously. What I mean by uh, progressive is we're always trying to move forward. We're always trying to uh, accomplish what we envision for ourselves in the future. I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. What I'm saying is we have a future in mind, and we do everything that we can to accomplish that. And usually what that entails is we plan, and we plan, and we plan. We plan for ourselves, we plan with other people, we bring committees together, we plan with those committees, we bring subcommittees together, we plan with those subcommittees, and they answer to the committee, which answers to some kind of board and everything like that, and we're just living in a series of meetings and, and committees and planning and agendas and all these things, so that we can accomplish a future that we have envisioned for ourselves. I will venture to say that this is in the extreme form that we're living it today, it is quite spiritually dangerous for the reason that I will say. It's not healthy to overdo it on planning. It's not healthy to have a vision in mind for ourselves, idolize it, and then make sure that we accomplish it such that if we don't, well, that interruptions come in the way, which inevitably they will, we get flustered and frustrated and all thrown out of proportion and we are out of, outside of our comfort zone such that we become almost unstable. That we can't roll with the punches anymore because we had, we had it planned out. It was all right there for us. We planned it well. The agenda was set and we said this is exactly how we're gonna do it and it sounded perfectly fine and rational and easy to do it if we just followed the plan. The problem with that, and the reason why that never works, is the same reason why the Tower of Babel had to, go, had to go down. The Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 11, where the inhabitants of that city decided that they were going to build a, a, a tower to the heavens, that they on their own would move themselves up to God, that they would reach divinity, that they would reach the divine heights by their own power, by their own committees, let's say, by their own planning by their own rationality, their own tools that they had at their disposal. This will never work. It didn't work with Babel because human beings, we human beings, merely don't have the power to do these kinds of things. We human beings cannot rule the world. We human beings cannot be masters of our own lives. No matter how good the plan is, no matter how structured our agenda is, no matter how many people come onto our committees, we simply cannot become the masters of our own lives. Those that try will always fail, and they will, barring their acceptance of that failure, will just self-destruct. This is the story, not to get too deeply into it, this is the story of Satan, essentially. Especially if you read Paradise Lost. This is the way John Milton presents Satan. Non serviam, in Latin means I will not serve. The, devil wanted to, the devil's sin is that he wanted to do things his way. He wanted to be the master of his own life. He thought he had a better plan than God. And you know what? Maybe we think we have a better plan than God, too. I mean, imagine if somebody comes up to you and says, 
like many people propose today, I have a plan that's gonna save the world. I have a plan that's gonna save the country. I have a plan that's gonna save the political arena. I know how, I'm gonna, how people are gonna become united again. I know how we can defeat sin and death and all these awful things. Here's the plan. Now imagine somebody coming to you and saying, the way we do it is we get a poor guy to walk around various villages, preach a message that says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And then we take that guy and we put a crown of thorns on his head and we scourge him and then we make him carry a cross up a hill and then we kill him on the cross. That's gonna save the world. Does that sound like a good plan? What if somebody tells you, you know how you can save the world? You can save the world by accepting the suffering that people offer you. For example, when somebody does something really evil to you, you can accept it and forgive them. You can pray for them. You can do something good for them. You can transform this act of hatred into an act of love. You can do good to those who hate you. That's what's gonna save the world. Does that sound like a good plan to anybody? No, it doesn't. It sounds irrational. It sounds unjust, it sounds unfair. It sounds, it sounds like pain is just going to perpetuate itself. It sounds like some form of abuse. And yet, that's what saved the world. And yet, that is the plan of God. Jesus, in the Gospel reading today, and the, uh, the day that we are commemorating today in Palm Sunday, shows us that this is the case in a foreshadowing way. When he comes into Jerusalem, as we read in the Gospel reading, he does so in the pattern, in the manner of uh, the prophecy from Zephaniah, which is quoted in the Gospel reading. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, that's Zephaniah, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the full of a donkey. What is the prophet saying, Zephaniah? He's saying, this Messiah that's going to come that's gonna save the world, he's not going to be a political revolutionary. He's not going to save the world by might, not by power, not by violence. He's not going to get rid of evil. And that's the point, Jesus doesn't get rid of evil. 2,000 years later, it's quite rampant. He's not going to save the world by his strength. He's going to save the world by his humility. In fact, he's gonna save the world by his weakness. He's gonna save the world by giving in to the injustice of the world, by allowing the evil of the world to pile on upon him. So while Jesus walks into Jerusalem today, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, in a, in a matter of humility, yes, the people celebrate him, the people chant Hosanna, they, they take their olive branches and they put it down on the road for him to honor him, they take their garments off and put it on the road for him in order to, to elevate him. That's all true, they do all that. But he knows what's gonna happen very soon after that. Jesus knows that he gets the praise today 
And tomorrow, it's going to be a different story. Tomorrow, he's going to be, by way of a, of a scheme, he's going to be arrested. By way of betrayal, he's going to be tried in court. And in that court, they're going to lie about the charges that they bring up against him. And he's going to be found guilty, falsely. And then he's going to be judged and sentenced to death, death by the most excruciating fashion, crucifixion. He knows that all that is going to happen, and yet he accepts it bit by bit. He takes it all upon himself. Notice that the crowd is not, the, the crowd that's there in Jerusalem welcome, welcoming him in and cheering him on is not there when Jesus is being tried and crucified. None of them are there at the cross. It's just Mary, Mary Magdalene, St. John the Beloved. What does that mean? You and I, brothers and sisters, we can plan out our lives all we want to, but we're not the masters of our lives. Our plans will fail. There's a, the old saying, you know, uh, what is it? You make a plan for your life and God looks at it and laughs because it doesn't actually work out that way because we're not really the masters of our own lives. And so we shouldn't try to be because we're just going to keep frustrating ourselves. And that the idea is that we give in to the will of God. We surrender, radically surrender to the will of God. Part of that radical surrender is accepting the good when it comes, like on Palm Sunday, and when we get to celebrate with, with the Lord and all these, when we're jubilant because a very good thing is happening in our lives. But another part of that is accepting the will of God when it hurts as well, like when it hurts in a few days from now when Jesus is going to be tried and sentenced to death and then be crucified and buried. What saves the world is not endless planning. That's not going to work. What saves the world is radical love, period. That's the only thing that's going to save the world. That's the only thing that's going to save our lives. And the way to love is by risking ourselves to things that we have not planned. Surrendering ourselves to the will of God that we cannot see. It's the stuff that we don't know. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he's praised but he's going to be crucified soon. And he accepts it all bit by bit. Brothers and sisters, we walk with Christ. We are part of the crowd, and that's good to be part of the crowd, praising Jesus and chanting Hosanna, taking our palm branches and laying them at his feet. That's, that's good. But let us follow him all the way to the cross and not be like the crowd in Jerusalem that just left him behind because when his fame ran out, so did our love for him. Let us follow Jesus when he's not only popular, but especially, and in today's world, very unpopular. But the way to follow Christ is, the manner, is in the way that Jesus tells us. Whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Put another way, no one can come after me if they do not, if they do not pick up their cross. We follow Jesus through and through, which means that we go through the ebb and flow in life where a good thing happens and then a bad thing soon follows. But we, in following Christ all the way, also get to follow him into the resurrection, Easter Sunday, when it's not just a, a, this kind of dialectic between good thing, bad thing, good thing, bad thing, and the cycle of these things, but we finally get to break out of that circle 
and reach something beyond our imagination in the resurrection. That is our hope, brothers and sisters. And so, instead of endlessly planning things, God has a better plan for us. It might not make sense to us. In fact, it might look like it's downright dark and evil to us. But the plan of God is the most good. The plan of God is the unimaginably good. The plan of God is the ultimate good, a good that can never be taken away from us by anything bad that would come after it. Amen.